This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones and with me as he is every week is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, I promised myself that I wouldn't say anything about the football game this past weekend. Um, I mean, there's nothing to say. It was just downright embarrassing um, about, <laughs> I think, Probably halfway through, I just tweeted out, uh, guys, maybe you should just surrender. Uh, yeah. I mean, there well, was no re- there you know, wasn't even really a need for a second half. Yeah, probably not, Matthew, but we're not here to talk about sports ball today. Hashtag sports ball. We need a, we need a Trek of Film t-shirt that says hashtag sports ball on it. That's right. For all of those listeners who, who you know have been through the back catalog and, and, and heard us talk for hours on sports <laughs> ball when we're not supposed to on the other side of the page or room or orb or whatever it is, uh, it's usually when we're together, Chris, because... Yeah, it's just yeah. us mainly because you know, we're actually fans. <laughs> exactly. But you know what we do like, though, besides hashtag sports ball are the comics that come out about star trek and the new story that we have today is about that and we're going to go into time warp mode as you have to do when you talk about comic releases all the way to january when we're going to be getting star trek ongoing number 41 five-year mission behemoth part one and matthew i had to laugh when i read this because they talk about it being sort of a new launch for this series that's produced by Roberto Orsi. And then I noticed that the logo looks just a little bit different, a little more depth to it. And then it has five-year mission on it. And I thought, oh, finally, now they're going to start that five-year mission that they've been telling us for like a year and a half now that they're going to be kicking off. Are we are we really here now, Matthew? Well, I thought it would... It isn't, isn't it just like an audio comic? So you, you open it and the five-year mission band sings, you know, a song to you? I thought that's what it I was. I think so. I mean, that would explain why, you know, Kirk looks like Mike Rittenhouse right here on the cover. That and wielding two phasers like, you know, he's in a gunfight. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, Chris, all, all joking aside, I think this is fun. Um, you know, finally they are getting to the five-year mission, especially after their big uh, crossover with with Q, so after that's okay, over. I'm going to put asterisk after that, and at the bottom, allegedly, because yeah, until I read yeah. this comic, I don't believe them. 
<laughs> I'm really excited that Kat Staggs is going to be doing the artwork here, Chris. Um, she hasn't done the artwork since Parallel Lives when she did the covers. And she also did the illustrations for Federation First 150 Years. So I really like her artwork. I think this is pretty fantastic that we're going to be kind of kicking off this new launch. And it's a great place for people to pick up the Star Trek comics, the ongoing series, if they haven't been following it so far, because uh, there's yeah. been a lot that's happened. I mean, 41 issues is a lot. You know, right now, I've been kind of uh, going back and, and catching up on some DC comics, Green Arrow and, and Aquaman and, and Batman, you know, reading like 30 comics at a time. It's a lot. So this is a this yeah. is great. I mean, I, I hope it'll just get more people excited. Well, we will see. I mean, I hope they're going out on the five-year mission now. When I talk to people about these comics and I ask, which stories have you liked the most? Invariably, they are the ones where they're doing something truly new, not the ones where they were retelling original series episodes. And although they branched out from that and it became more their own as it went along, I think that this is probably the point where they may pull in those fans who have shied away from it because they do feel like, even though it's not really been the case now for a while, their impression of the series is that it's sort of a rehash of TOS. Uh, yeah, uh, and I mean, honestly, they have done a lot of new stuff. Uh, you know, I think of mm-hmm. um, some of the things they did after Into Darkness that I really, really enjoyed um, I honestly have been enjoying the Q Gambit series. I'm, I'm very excited to see that wrap up and, and where they're going to go with it. Um, obviously, it sounds like everybody's going to live because everybody's on this cover. Uh, so if you were expecting maybe a character to die, don't think that's going to happen. Well, I don't see the science robot guy on here. That is true. But, um, you know, he's not really a main character. So I, I think we'll probably be okay. Well, Matthew, we've seen him walk around the ship naked. So this is true. Does that not make you a main character? Yeah, uh, you know, Q walked around on the next generation naked. I, I don't think that made him a, a main character. So, I mean, nudity doesn't really have anything to do with your crew status. So, um, <laughs> if it did, then at least wow, that's the only way you have to get ships. to be in Starfleet. I don't know about the Titan, Matthew. Yeah, but. yeah. goodness. Uh, anyway. But uh, this will be fun, Chris. I'm ex- I'm excited about it, and uh, I just the cover alone is pretty epic. Um, you know, everybody is firing a facer, and well, let me ask you about the cover here. I feel like Chekhov has been taking some sort of lessons from the Ferengi in the Last Outpost. That, or maybe he's um, perfecting that dance that Nog likes to do. Um, so, oh, oh yeah, that he did at, at Jadzia's bachelorette party. Um, yeah. But, uh, it, that or, or something, he's, he's upholding something really heavy on his shoulders. Okay. Uh, be, that's yeah. invisible. So maybe like okay. he's carrying it's a clothing cloaked, device yeah. or something like that. Mm. So, uh, okay. Hey, or uh, strange thing too, cause we haven't seen this before, but Uhura is wearing, uh, a Starfleet uniform that's not a dress, it's pants. So yeah. um, maybe she's uh, switching to, uh, you know, the pants look, which well, might be interesting to see in uh, this series. And coolest thing, though, Chris, I was just thinking about this. The new movie that's going to come out that, that, that they're working on and, and, and they apparently have the script done and they're going to be filming sometime uh, next, early next year. We've heard over and over that it's going to be about the five-year mission. 
So I'm interested to see, too, how the comics will play into that and if they'll kind of give them an idea of what's coming so that they can kind of work the comics around the way that they've tried to with the other films. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. interesting because if we're really going to hit the five-year mission here with Bohemoth, uh, hopefully they're just not meeting my Aunt Bertha, um, that, uh, (laughs) you know... we, we really can see some cohesion with where they're going to go with the film as well. And even, you know, use the comics for the fans who read it to kind of set that up. Um, and that maybe the area of space they're in and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited. Uh, I, I've enjoyed most of the the ongoing comics and it'll be nice to, to have a, a new direction. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll see where it goes. So again, this is going to be out in January and it's part one of two. So there are going to be two behemoth comics here, which if you put two behemoths together, Matthew, that's pretty massive. I feel like, you know, maybe they're going to have to get reinforced bags for people to carry these comics out of the comic (laughs) stores because, uh, you know, just too heavy, Uh, uh, two behemoths. Goodness, Uh, that's that's pretty cool. So it really is. So, Matthew, let's go on. That's the only news item that we have today, but we do have some listener feedback. And this is a question that came up from listener Russell Wilson. And he was asking us about the Doctor Who TNG crossover comics that came out um, about two years ago now, I think, wasn't it? And uh, Russell says, firstly, absolutely love the show. Are you at any time in the future going to discuss the Doctor Who TNG crossover? And if you intend in the future to look at the post-Nemesis books, you might include the Enterprise books, The Good That Men Do, Kobayashi Maru, and the Romulan War duology as they set up some of the storylines for Destiny and the Rise of the Federation novels. Keep up the brilliant work. Yours, Russell R. Wilson. So I think we both replied back to Russell by email on this, Matthew. And from my own position... I don't know enough about Doctor Who to make a worthy contribution to a discussion of the crossovers. So if we do those, Matthew, it might be you and someone else. Yeah, Chris, uh, and then the listeners, I, I'd love to be able to do those with uh, Chris. Uh, I have to get him past the, the episode Rose uh, sooner rather. Well, I like Rose. It's the next few after yeah. that. Um, so, so we just need to get Chris a little more invested in some Doctor Who before we can do that. Um, you know, the comics take place with uh, Matt Smith and it's Doctor and, and Amy Pond, and uh, Chris is a little bit away from that coming and so we're, we're gonna have to wait now with the enterprise books um i'm i would love to do those uh and you know maybe after the deep space nine relaunch we will take a short jaunt to what was happening in the alpha quadrant uh, about 150 years before that so that would be great uh, well more than 150 years about 200 years so don't don't write me any letters i know my star trek you know timeline <laughs> um but yeah, they are fantastic books. The Good That Men Do is, is brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Kobayashi Maru is good. Of course, leads into Destiny. And uh, the, the Romulan War duology, which should have been a trilogy, I, I'm still a little upset at Pocket Books for that, for cutting that short. Um, but uh, still good, but just could have been better. So I would love to do those. But thank you so much, Russell, for the ideas, because uh, we need them, because sometimes... Uh, yeah, we don't we don't think of things, uh, and uh, as well, just appreciate your feedback and the fact that you're listening to the show. Absolutely. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to doing the Enterprise books for sure as well. Doctor Who, at some point, Matthew, I'll try <laughs> once again to progress past that. <laughs> have such a limited TV viewing time as it is. Well, Matthew, that is all we have in the news. Before we go into our feature discussion, where we're going to talk about the new e-novella QR Cordially Uninvited, we'd like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. And as a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying the service by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And every week, we like to recommend a book. And usually it's a Star Trek book. But Matthew, I understand that you're going to go off the board today. Well, Chris, we do that every once in a while, and I was just thinking about this because I saw the trailer for the movie that's coming out at Christmas, and it's for the book Unbroken uh, that came out a few years ago by Laura Hildebrand, who wrote Seabiscuit as well. And I have to say, one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years. Um, it, it is just a standout book, an incredible story of, of survival and um, humanity, and I think that it is something that anybody uh, would love to, to read and to listen to. Uh, and I can't think of a better place to do that than with Audible. Yeah, it looks like a really interesting book here. I'm not familiar with uh, this story myself, but uh, you told me about it and I went to Audible and I just typed Unbroken and it came up as the first result. So it's very easy to find. And I, I always enjoy when a movie is going to come out personally, knowing the book before I go into the movie. So if you'd like to do that as well, you can pick up Unbroken absolutely free. Again, the URL is audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Just head over there and sign up. Get that book or any book you want absolutely free. If you decide not to stick with the service, you'll get to keep that book so there's nothing to lose. But when you try Audible, that really helps us keep the show coming to you every single week. So we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. And we thank you for supporting Audible. And one other way you can support us is to become a patron of the network. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can set an amount that you would like to contribute on a month-to-month basis to help us keep literary treks coming to you and the network operating. We have goals and perks set up there for different milestone levels. So go check us out, become a patron, help us keep the show coming to you. We have many people who have already done that, and we really thank everyone for their support there. It really is key for us to be able to bring the show to you every week. So again, check us out there, patreon.com slash trekfm. All right, Matthew, it is time for us to talk about another e-novella. Certainly the name here is great. Q are cordially uninvited. So set this up for us. Well, Chris, uh, this is a Star Trek The Next Generation ebook. Uh, it's by Rudy Josephs. The story takes place between the events of Before Dishonor and Greater Than the Sum. So the TNG relaunch books, uh, they're right before Destiny. And uh, for those fans that know, in Before Dishonor, Captain Picard and, and Beverly Crusher had decided they were going to get married. And then when we see them in Greater Than the Sum, they are married. And this story tells us how that happened and how that came to be. And so it's the wedding of Captain Picard and Dr. Beverly Crusher, the, the romance that had been just burning for years and years. Uh, it's also the book that has just broken my heart because Beverly is officially <laughs> married to Captain Picard, uh, even though they, they were That's married. That's what I was but thinking. It's, but it's actually happened yeah. now. So uh, I wasn't sure how you felt about this. Um, yeah, it's so tough, Chris. It's this, tough. This novella, you know, we've been reading a number of these and 
we've been enjoying them for the most part. I, I this one as I was getting it was a little bit slow for me in the beginning. And I remember us talking about the Star Trek Planet of the Apes comics crossover that's going to be coming up. And the fact that I felt like that it may have started with someone saying, the primate directive, now that's really catchy. Let's build a story around it. And I thought that might slightly be the case here with QR, Cordially Uninvited. What do you think? Well, you know... I, I think that you're right, and and I want to say that the setup and the idea for this is really fun, and I think that the idea of creating the the backstory for you know uh, Crusher and Picard's wedding is great, and the fact that it is interrupted by Q because it does really sound mm-hmm. like something that Q would do. It does, yeah. So that whole setup is fantastic, and and to me as well, I was a little disappointed that we we didn't get to see them get married at all um now before you know before dishonor that that's the book where the the borg have um their big huge sphere has come it's invaded the alpha quadrant there and captain janeway is lost um and then in greater the sum uh, they're back on another mission involving the borg as well so it's there there's a lot going on and so there wasn't a lot of time anyway to really have a scene like that. And, and, and it wasn't necessarily, I don't think that was something that was over important to the writers at that point. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I think it's a huge momentous event. I mean, we did have the whole book, Death in Winter, which tells us the whole story about why they decide to start, you know, actually getting together, be a couple and and move towards this this idea of marriage, um, which, I mean, gosh, we've we've all been... I think waiting for that to happen since season one, where it was so blatantly obvious that there's some serious chemistry between these characters. And so, well, Matthew, you know, there are a lot of fans who still think that Picard's actually Wesley's dad. Uh, you know, um, I, I <laughs> goodness, that would have been a very interesting story if that had been the case. So, um, yeah. but the, the, the setup here, I just want to say is fantastic. And there are a couple of great scenes in the book. But just kind of uh, overall, Chris, like as we always do, what did you end up thinking of the storyline? Well, I think the storyline is interesting overall, and I could certainly see it being an episode of The Next Generation. It's very much something that Q would do, and it gives us the more playful Q that many fans really enjoy, more so than what they started doing with Q on Voyager. Uh, It was interesting to hear you say that the setup is fantastic because my feeling as I was reading through the setup, and I'm talking about the very beginning, like how they actually frame the story so that we find out that it's actually Jean-Luc and Beverly recounting these events to their crewmates, felt a a little bit odd to me. Like the, the idea that they're on a holodeck and people are watching this wedding of the captain Beverly was, it was a little bit strange for me. Yeah. I, I I guess what I meant when, when I said um, setup is, is that I like the, the setup of the story in the sense of, uh, I like the idea that Q is going to interrupt the wedding 
of yeah so yeah. that setup now the actual framework of the story inside the book itself when we kind of get dive in i'm with you mm-hmm. i was like so they're they're Jordy and Worf are watching this ceremony. We see the ceremony happen, but then we realize we're in the hollow deck with them. Yeah, and and that's when it just started to kind of pull me out of the story. I was like, what? what? Why? 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 I don't understand. And because by the before we actually jump into the real story, we find out that Picard and Beverly are there, and then they say, "Well, you know, this isn't exactly what really happened." Before you get to that, you get the impression that like Jordy and Worf are on the holodeck, like peeping at the wedding of Picard and and Beverly. It was almost creepy. It it was a weird. The, my feeling, and I might feel differently if I reread this again. But just jumping right into it for the first time, it almost felt like Rudy Josephs didn't quite know how to actually get us into the story and this was what they came up with and it feels like a setup to push you into the rest of the story that maybe isn't really thought through very well see what maybe that's just how i feel about it maybe tng fans will think that it's very normal that this would be going on and and the funny thing is is i don't think it needs that at all i think you could tell this story without the you know uh, the setup of the holodeck by just having beverly and and john luke you know go on this adventure um and and then and then have the wedding which they're showing holographic pictures to in the holodeck at at the very end of the book and saying that's what happens you know, like so that's the See, that the end of the book is the that framework instead of the beginning because at the beginning yeah. it doesn't work, but at the end, if you do it at the end, then it's kind of like a what? So they're just telling the story now for the first time like, at their year anniversary. That's kind of more well, exciting. Let, well, let me ask you this, okay? So we're we're jumping all over the place already <laughs> from the start, but it's a short it's a short book anyway. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read it yet. Uh, please read it before you listen to this. It's really short because we're we're going to talk about the different elements of it here. But do you think it even needs this holographic thing at all, Matthew? Because at the end, Q tells them that, you know, it's going to be possible for them to pull this up. You know, they'll be able to watch it as a holographic thing in the in the future, but they'll only be able to remember that this happened on their anniversary. So he somehow makes it that the rest of the year, they can't even remember themselves that this happened to them. But on their anniversary, then they remember. I can picture it just being Jean-Luc and Beverly having an intimate dinner together on their anniversary and then remembering that this happened and then going to the story and tell it to us as the reader. And then at the end, you just close with them having dinner again. Like you don't even need this holographic techno babble wrapping to it at all. Right. Or even, and if you want to include Jordy and Worf, just have mm-hmm. them having dinner with the captain and his wife. <laughs> Awkward. You know, at, Got to a really nice French restaurant yeah. for a nice anniversary dinner. Well, no, and no, here's Worf no, 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 and Jordy. My, my thought was, is, you know, that they're, they're obviously on the Enterprise and it's their anniversary and they ask Worf and, and 
Jordy too, because they want to tell them this no, story. No, here, Matthew. <laughs> here it is. So this is this is post Nemesis and everything, right? They ask Jordy to come along. They get to the restaurant, and Worf's there. And Picard's like, "What the hell, Mr. Worf? Why the hell are you here? <laughs> Why don't you pull up a chair?" That yeah. See, there you go. We've just made this story <laughs> ten times better. Um, right. So what happens if for those of you that have read the book, we'll, we'll try, try to go a little bit more chronological here. So they they start telling them the real story uh, of what happened. They say, look, the, the wedding happens like you see it here, but that's not all that happens. And they they tell them this whole big story about how Q came and interrupted everything. And um, I, I, for me, Chris... It, I really, I just, I got pulled out of the book from the beginning with not only the holographic shenanigans, but also the moment the character started to speak, except for Q, nobody has the voice of the characters. Like, I couldn't imagine John Luke saying any of these lines most of the time. I couldn't really imagine Beverly saying most of her lines. Q is is pretty spot on, but I, I, in some ways, I think Q is easier to write um, you, you know, you just add a lot of arrogance and and uh, I think so, and yeah. narcissism, and you've got Q. So, yeah. um, and Vosh, I guess, well, sounds okay, but for me, just throughout the whole thing, the story doesn't really feel like a Star Trek story because yeah. none of the characters sound like the characters that I know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that Vosh sounds like herself the majority of the time. Q sounds like Q. I mean, Q is very spot on, especially towards the end, especially if we're going back to the comical Q that we know from, you know, like Picard even mentions here, you know, the whole Sherwood Forest with Cupid, that kind of, that time period Q. But I'm with you, you know, when I read these Star Trek books, you know, I know the voices of the characters so well that I hear their voices in my head, which I think most Star Trek fans do when they read these books, I hear the voice of Patrick Stewart. I hear the voice of Gates McFadden. And that's what makes these stories work so well for me when they're written well, because I feel like I'm watching an episode. But here, I had the same problem. I'm like, this isn't really Picard. It does not sound like Picard. And Beverly... We don't hear her on screen to the extent that we hear Captain Picard throughout the course of the series. So we know his voice better in our heads, I think, generally. But yeah, the voices here were just not quite there. Well, and and the other thing, too, is is so they get pulled out of um, Le Bray, France, where they're going to have their small ceremony with Marie and a few other people that they know. Very, very tiny wedding that they're, they're they've planned. And Picard gets it's whisked away to the Delta Quadrant, to this mythical treasure, with this lost civilization, and ends up there with Vosh. And they, Q tells them that if you find the treasure, I'll send you home. So Beverly's not there at the beginning. Uh, and she ends up sending a message through some of her friends in Starfleet just on a broadcast for the other Q. Now, wasn't that weird? Like, first of all... She's never met this other Q, right? They know about the Susie Plaxen Q from Admiral Janeway's logs. And then Beverly decides that she's going to broadcast a message 
into three different areas of space in order to get the attention of Q's ex-wife or wife, whichever she is at this point, but they obviously are not together. I thought it was a little bit odd, but at the same time, if they've read Janeway's logs, they know the the animosity that kind of happens between the two cues and, and, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. way that um, they, they like to try to one up each other. So yeah. I, I thought I was like, well, Beverly's really smart here, you know, going to the other cue because she knows that she can immediately just say, well, it's going to annoy Q. So you're right. going to want to do it. Well, let me ask you this, Matthew. Okay. Now, you know, Beverly very well because you love Beverly. Why would Beverly be taking the time to read Janeway's logs from her time in the Delta Quadrant? Uh, I mean, maybe she just uh, enjoys some fascinating reading, um, likes inconsistent characters, uh, (laughs) you know. I don't know. It's like Picard knowing this, I can understand because he's a captain and he's the captain of the flagship and it would make sense that maybe part of his job and his own feeling about needing to know these things as the captain, he might read them. But Beverly, I don't know. I just it's, it's kind of hard for me to imagine why she would be going through Janeway's logs. And remember, Janeway has a lot of logs. So that's a lot of reading to find out that she encountered a female Q at some point. Well, my, my guess is, is that maybe what happened is that, you know, her and, and uh, Picard were in bed one night and he's reading the logs and he goes... That son of a bitch has a wife, <laughs> and so Beverly perks up and is like, "What? Who are you talking about, John Luke? Such language!" And so right. he turns to her and he tells her the story. That's how she, he knows is because yeah. not because she's been reading the logs, but because you know um, John Luke well, just told her what happened. So yeah, well, I will give you that. Now I don't know about the being in bed part, but I, I can see that. Jean-Luc might have told her, you know, I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son and he tried to seduce Admiral Janeway? I, I can imagine that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So that I had to build that head cannon, but it was there okay. and it worked. It was there. So, Matthew, let me let's move forward a little bit more. So they're they're there and uh, Picard, he goes back to his room there in the house and there is a cake apparently made of wood inside his room. And he's immediately thinking that, okay, this is like the old, you know, the stripper jumps out of a cake kind of traditional bachelor party. The Vulcan love slave. I did think about that Mm -hmm. actually, but he starts saying that he can tell that there's something inside. There's someone inside this thing and it's apparently locked and they can't get out. Now tell me if you were with me on this. The whole time, I was thinking that probably what was inside that cake was the dog from the cover, the brown dachshund on the cover of this book and iBooks. I was wondering, how does the dog work into this story? I think that that's where it is. Yeah, I thought somebody gave them, was going to give them a puppy, you know, uh, as the brand Mm -hmm. new couple, you know, uh, Captain uh, Archer had had a beagle as well. So, so why mm-hmm. not give the couple a puppy? You know, um, I think so. That would make sense. Yeah, that um, would. So, yeah. I love the fact that this has a, a great dog on the cover. It makes so much I, I sense know. now. 
it really captures, you know, I think the that of the, the book, creatures yeah. that were t- chasing them there on the planet through the city were probably dogs like the one we see on oh, the cover. Oh, definitely. Here. Yeah. So for those wondering what the hell are Chris and Matthew talking about here, if you got this book through iBooks, and I haven't checked Kindle to know if it's the same way there, if you got the digital version, well, you have to be digital because it's an ebook. Through iBooks, you found that the cover is not the beautiful purple and blue QR cordially uninvited cover. It is instead A Last Goodbye by J.A. Jantz, which is a black cover with a picture of a dachshund staring at you. Chris, I, I just wanted to mention that I, I, I just Googled that for us. So, right. But on Kindle, yes, uh, it actually is the same cover. Uh, the last goodbye with the dog. Is it really? It is actually the same. So it is not so, a problem with iBooks. I think it is a problem with Pocket. Pocket. And yeah, uh, they the embedded the wrong yeah. cover art at some in some spot because once you open the book, it's the correct cover on yep. the inside. Mm-hmm. But wherever you embed the artwork, that's going to be the thumbnail. Apparently, someone at Pocket embedded the wrong cover, which is really funny. Um, so. <laughs> It wasn't a dog in the cake. It, it was just not happened a dog. to be Vosh, and they get whisked right. away to the Delta Quadrant. Beverly joins them by tricking, not really tricking, but uh, playing the other cue. And they also run into uh, one of the people that Vosh and Q have run into before. They're in yep. the Gamma Quadrant, and she's there with a Nausicaan because... In Star Trek, if you just need, you know, somebody who's kind of badass, you, it's got to be a Nausicaan, especially in the Next Generation time period. Right. Well, Q says in this book, though, that it's always more fun with Picard when there's a Nausicaan around. Exactly. Exactly. And they split up into teams, and whoever finds the treasure first, Q will send home. Yeah. And at this point, let's remember, it's Picard and Vash, and Beverly is still in France, trying to figure out how to get in touch with Picard, which is why she calls on the other cue. Right. So, honestly, um, shenanigans ensue. They find the treasure, and Q sends Vosh away. She He sends the Nausicaan away. He sends the other woman away. And then... Um, so you're just jumping right to the end of the story yeah, now, aren't you? Yeah, just tramping right to the end of the story because there's not really anything to talk about. The, the most interesting part, I think, and it was sad, is that there's this race that we've never really heard of before. In mm-hmm. fact, we've never heard of before. And they apparently were treasure hunters and had a way to travel from place to place, galaxy to galaxy, or or at least hop around the galaxy, and they were able to steal things from pre-warp civilizations. So they end up having Mm -hmm. things from all over the galaxy, the Gamma Quadrant, the the Beta Quadrant, Alpha Quadrant, uh, everywhere. And and to me, this was a really interesting thing in the book. It's probably the most interesting in the book. And yet, it's just kind of glossed over for the most part, and it's just kind of a background and I was well, dis- it's a background. And yeah. I was disappointed. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say that it was glossed over because they talk about it extensively, but they don't really shed any light at all on who these people were or why they were doing this. 
it's set up just because you have Vash, and it's some great archaeological treasure. And of course, there's Picard with his archaeological background as well. And then this person that they had met in the Gamma Quadrant before, and that Vash and Q had screwed over, is also an archaeologist. And so she's after this as well. When they start walking around, after they're in the museum, and they come out of there, and they start walking through these areas, and they go through areas that feel like the architecture is distinctly based on another culture. Like, there's a section that's like they're on Kronos. There's a section that feels like it's from Beta Z, I believe they say. I felt like at that point, Matthew, that we were in some sort of space Epcot Center. That's exactly what it felt like. In fact, they even make the reference that this feels like an amusement park from Earth's history. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's because that's exactly what it is. Exactly. Um, you're, it's Epcot yeah, Center. You, that or you're on It's a Small World. Um, and so <laughs> um, my favorite thing is apparently the treasure is called the Collection of Space and Time. So apparently they're on the Time Lord planet from Doctor Who, and this is the Doctor <laughs> Who collection of of artifacts from space and time. Well, that's what it's known as in the Gamma Quadrant, and in the Alpha Quadrant, it's called the Treasure of the Ancients. Ah, okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. which would make sense, because Time Lords are relatively yeah. immortal, so they can mm-hmm. live for quite a long time. So, hmm. But these people, these Mindrins, I mean, they reminded me, like, the Iconians, Someone, you know, who can travel. Right. You know, we, we know from the Gateway books that those are the demons of air and darkness, how the Iconians would just appear. And it seemed kind of like that here as well. Although what we get to in this book is the idea that they weren't actually thieves. There wasn't anything malicious. They were just artists looking for inspiration. Yeah, which is uh, great. I'm really glad that we found that out. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just disappointed because you know in in Star Trek when you introduce a race, usually it's about trying to figure that race out, and 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 that becomes a really interesting thing, especially if you have a writer that's a good world builder. And I was just disappointed right, that right. it's it really is just a backdrop for the rest of the story here, and it's it's not there's no real depth to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- and I think that's okay in a Q story because that's not what Rudy was going after. I mean, she right, wasn't trying right. to build the world of Mindra. It was meant to be a backdrop, and that's fine. That's fine. But at the same time, it's interesting enough. I, g- I guess this is a positive, actually, what we're saying here, that Rudy created something that's interesting enough that we want to know more about these people and why they were doing mm-hmm. what they were doing. Yeah. Well, and and sadly, the most interesting thing that I learned in the book is that uh, Beverly Crusher is a world-class, in fact, galaxy-class lockpicker. Um, and so, I mean, uh, just Beverly has, you know, moves that we've never seen, apparently, uh, which I'm, I'm well, okay Matthew, with. Matthew, I got to say here, Beverly, she explains to Vash about what you're talking about, how they had to do surgery with ancient scalpels with they can't actually see what they're working on and that's why she can pick the lock and she says that way they you know they built up their dexterity very well and they became very skilled at this and then she says for extra credit 
the instructor had us use those skills in other ways. Uh, which is, and I put a note. I said, "What are you saying, Beverly?" Uh, I want to figure that out personally. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I just that was that it, that was one of those moments where I was like, "This is kind of funny and cool," except that it doesn't fit her character at all. And yeah, it's one of those things where we pull out something, you know, right. like Picard likes to race boats or something like yeah. that. Um, we never knew that Picard likes to race boats, but apparently he does. Until we got to that galactic yacht race. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <we knew>. exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was kind of fun. I think, you know, when we get to the end of the story and they have the wedding with... And the ending was fun. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah. actually Q says some really nice things about Picard uh, and mm-hmm. about Beverly. And we kind of get this whole just nice bow of the idea that these two really are kind of MFEO made for each other. And uh, I, I thought that that was probably the nicest thing to see in the book is it just a kind of a celebration of finally that Picard and, and Beverly are getting married. And, mm-hmm. but on a whole, I just, I, I feel like the book just really lacks the, the tone of, of the the characters that and and that's just what I miss except for Q except for Q because if yeah. I I feel like if you had been able to get the tone of the characters more than just Q I would have liked the story better um, because yeah. I would have felt like I was in a Star Trek story but I'm kind of reading this book and I'm thinking wait that just doesn't sound like the Picard or the Beverly that I know and and it's it, so it. it it's not as good as it could have been, and I was really disappointed because I was I was looking forward to this story. Yeah, because yeah. I was always somebody who, and I'm a shipper. I like to ship things, uh, relationships with characters, and I was always a, a Picard, you know, crusher shipper, and um, I I wanted them to to end up together, and so to get to this storyline and and just not have it be what I was hoping it would be, I was just disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of, like you said, on the other side of the page, meh, about this book. You know, it's fun. I really like the ending. I like the whole wedding ceremony in the Library of Alexandria. And the way that Q talks there, I mean, he's got great Q lines, you know. He he actually has, and this is what's kind of funny, and I I, I guess is a reason why you you need the front part that we're not crazy about, where we find out that Riker and Troy and everyone, they're actually there at the wedding. They just won't remember it. And Q says, Dearly beloved, you have been abducted here today (laughs) to witness the marriage of Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher. And, you know, it's a very Q thing. And there are a lot of very Q things here at the end. And I like that when Picard is leaning in to kiss Beverly and the prose says, As he gently leaned forward, his lips met hers, and they sealed their odd, impromptu, completely unofficial, and likely not legal wedding (laughs) with a kiss. (laughs) Which was was nice. But the overall story, you know, what Q is doing to try to get Vash back, it reminds me of Q-less from Deep Space Nine, which is a story that Mm -hmm. I know you and I feel like didn't work very well. And then they pull in the things from Voyager, Janeway's logs, the female Q, 
They even reference that. So this planet is in the Delta Quadrant, Mindra, and they reference that, you know, rumor has it, that, or legend has it anyway, that the world was assimilated by the Borg. You know, so Delta Quadrant, well, Borg, got to have that. It draws on a lot of different things like that that I think aren't really necessary. And I feel for me, like you said, if the voices of Picard and Beverly had been closer to the actual characters and we got rid of the techno babble holodeck tech explanation and we just had them having an anniversary dinner, even if Worf happened to be there in the restaurant for some inexplicable reason, that probably would have worked pretty well for me. So it's a fun story, but it could have been better, I think. You know, the nice thing about it is, Chris, is that Picard and Worf actually talk about Worf's wedding. <laughs> right. Which I, I, I thought was nice. They actually talk yeah. about how, you know, their wedding was, was very low-key and everything and how it could mm-hmm. never compare to the, the big hullabaloo that that right. uh, they had, Worf now, and, and Jandia had. I have to ask you this in case I missed it because I know that the Earl Grey guys are going to want to know. Did Picard actually say, of course, I wouldn't really know if it could compare or not since I wasn't invited. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would just, it, actually, it would have been interesting for them to have the conversation. Oh, I'm so sorry we couldn't make it to your wedding because we have that mission. You remember that mission? Oh, right. You Something know, just like, like that, yeah. come on, you have the perfect you time to that just retcon the, the fact they yeah. couldn't be at the wedding. Exactly. All right. So are we rating this book? What would you give it? You know, Chris, um, I would have to say if I was rating this book, it would be um, two Dr. Crusher night dresses okay. out, of, out of 10. Oh, two out of 10. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, if we're going to go on a scale of 10 here, I'm just going to give this a rating right in the middle. I'm going to give it five mysterious dachshunds. And I'm I'm really disappointed. I thought that after Beverly picked the lock and those final doors finally opened, I thought that the treasure of the ancients was going to be the dog from the cover just in the middle of a big chamber, and it wasn't. So I was disappointed there, too. Yeah. It, there's just disappointment all around with this book, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, but if you like Q and you like TNG, I do recommend that you pick this up and read it. You know, it's, it's a short book. It's inexpensive. And Q's voice is is spot on, so it's fine. But this isn't the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week, Matthew. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons, plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 <laughs> symbols that he needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time and well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub again. He knows that so, she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, so. Exactly. I mean, so... To the journey! You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like, literally, on your back. It, like, literally, on your back. Like, I want you to feel the weight. 
You know, like this, <laughs> like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp five. The fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence, but he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The ready room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's blinders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek. Uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it the first part to be called Becoming Houdini and the second part to be called Being Houdini. It should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini Rises. Yes. Melodic Treks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces a 60-piece choir and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. If you're an Apple user, you can help us out by clicking subscribe in the iTunes application or in the podcasts application. That helps us rise up in the search results and it helps other Star Trek books and comics fans find the show. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and a written review. That also helps us rise up, but we also love to hear what you think about the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered everywhere else as well. You'll find us all over the place in Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, BlackBerry. We're also on SoundCloud. We're on Spreaker. You can go to the website and you can stream from the webpage there. You can download the MP3 file on the website through the SoundCloud player. Just look in the upper right-hand corner of the player and you'll see the button for that. And you can also, of course, get the RSS link and pop that into any application that you like. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on QR Cordially Uninvited or anything else that we talked about, there are many ways that you can do that. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form there, choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also find us in social media on Twitter. Our username is trek.fm. Our main page on Facebook is facebook.com slash trek.fm. And also, we have our listeners discussion group on Facebook, the Babel Conference. That's a closed group. You just need to go there and click join and then I'll let you in. It's a replacement for the forums that we used to have on our website and we're having great discussions over there, including many discussions about books. And the way that you get there is to type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website and click discussion up on the menu bar and that will take you right over there. Now, Matthew, when you're not trying to learn the many other uses that Beverly has found for those techniques that she learned that she uses to pick locks, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me at MattRushing02 there on Twitter. You can find me on The Orb, talking with you about Deep Space Nine all the time here on Trek FM. And you can also find me at my own personal blog, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not pulling Vosh out of cakes all over the place, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. 
I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jones, and I'm in the Babel Conference all the time, so I'd be happy to chat with you about Star Trek over there. And then on the network, you'll find me on many other shows, of course, The Orb with Matthew, as well as Warp 5, Matter Stream, Continuing Mission, Hyper Channel, The Ready Room, and the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. Axenar creator and executive producer. So check out those if you want to find out what other things I'm talking about in Star Trek and beyond. Also, Matthew, I should mention, because some people may be wondering, those who follow me on social media will already know, but I did have the surgery on my eye, which I mentioned in the last show that went very smoothly. No problems so far, and I can see clearly again. So it was much easier for me to read QR Cordially Uninvited today. Now, before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Remember, you can get a free audiobook of your choice as a Trek FM listener. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, just sign up and choose whatever book you want. Pick up Unbroken, which Matthew mentioned, or anything else that you like. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book, so there's nothing to lose. But when you support Audible, you're really helping us keep literary treks coming to you every week. So please check them out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm, and we thank them for their support of the show and the network. Also, don't forget to go over to patreon.com slash trekafilm and support us over there. Your support through Patreon is really critical to keeping the network going. So I hope you'll join the many other listeners who are now supporting us through Patreon. We have great perks for you over there. Please check those out, patreon.com slash trekafilm. And I'd also like to invite you to go to enterpriseinspace.org and check out the project that Larry Nemechek and I are involved in now. It's a great project to build an orbiter called the NSS Enterprise, which will go into space, orbit the Earth, come back down, be retrieved and put into a museum. But a really key part of it, besides it being the first Enterprise to actually go into orbit and spend time orbiting the Earth, It's also going to carry science experiments designed by students ages kindergarten through postgraduate, at least 100, probably many more, and no cost to the students. So it's a great education project as well. Uh, To get this into space, we need everyone's support, and you can find out all about it at enterpriseinspace.org. Hope you'll check that out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. But uh, exciting to see them, hopefully going to go boldly um I, i'm excited with that i love that they've uh chosen cat stevens who did the interior artwork um <laughs> you said it matthew oh. because on the it's it's cat stags but on the other side of the room i asked you is cat stags the artist related to cat stevens and all people named cat are related by first oh, name i am re- i got you <laughs> <laughs> i'm really excited that cat stags is going to be doing the artwork here chris